Kate, do you think that whilst people are in lockdown, they'll be brave enough to do more things like home testing? I think being in lockdown is an ideal time to do more home testing because when you're in lockdown, you're kind of in limbo. You don't really have the opportunity to do very much. But actually, what you can do with home testing is find out so much about your fertility and whether you need to start making some changes to lifestyle. And that's why we're really chuffed to have Medichex sponsoring the Fertility Podcast. Because whether you're trying to get healthy before getting pregnant or investigating why you've not been getting pregnant, Pregnant. Medichex has a range of simple home blood tests developed with Kate to help you. Visit medichex.com to find out more. This series from the Fertility Podcast is talking about miscarriage. With staggering numbers of people affected daily by this, there's still a silence around it, feelings of shame. Along with the grief, there is the physical impact of loss, and we wanted to explore this further over the coming weeks with a number of conversations from experts as well as people who have been through it. Unfortunately, there are so many reasons why miscarriage happens, whether it be genetic or placenta problems, infection or long-term health conditions you may suffer from, or sometimes we just don't know. We hope that by talking about it in this way, you will know that there is support and guidance available for you from groups, experts and organisations. To find out more about the support available, visit thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash miscarriage, where there will be listings to the range of organisations available, as well as all of these episodes. Well, I'm delighted to be in the Social Chain Podcast Hub with Katie Leeson, Managing Director of Social Chain. Thank you for welcoming me into your, I want to say podcast boudoir. Oh, yes. We've got got like velvety soft seats. Yeah, it's like my second home in here. It's lovely. (laughs) But thank you so much. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, I heard you talk. I've been following your podcast for a while and I heard you talk at Pods Up North where I'd always also been talking about getting personal for the podcast. And it was quite apt because you stood up and then touched on the getting personal aspect which is what we're going to be talking about in a moment. But before that, I just want to congratulate you on your award nomination. Thank you. Which is a an award for leading the charge and pushing the boundaries. Yeah, I'm very proud. Tell me who it's with. It's for Campaign, which is in the media and marketing world. It's our it's big, biggie. Big, yeah, so I am incredibly oh, just proud to be nominated. And it's testament to the work that we've been doing here in um from putting me out there a little bit more and social chain allowing me the space to do that. So very proud moment. And considering you just said putting you out there, when you spoke about the podcast that we're going to talk about, the episode that we're going to talk about, and also the work that you're doing, putting yourself out there, I was quite surprised from what I've kind of listened from you and and read about you, that it was a bit of a battle for you to do it. And that vulnerability, I'm keen to explore a bit because I've been podcasting for five years about fertility and I've shared at times quite personal stuff Mm. and I've had to self-protect and I'm keen as to whether on this journey you've got better at self-protecting. Yes, I think I over self-protected when I started in the way that I just refused to do anything. So in terms of my personal brand and the whole journey... I kind of knew that I was in a position of that not many other people had been in before in terms of being a young female managing director. And 
I struggled with that and I, I think I've talked about it quite a lot, but I, I found that I had imposter syndrome and I discovered that through my therapy sessions and that was my why. And I knew that if I got up and talked about, look, I'm an imposter, everyone else then who also suffers would also feel a bit comforted by that. And I'm also a massive believer in you can't be what you can't see. Mm. And I didn't really have many female role models to look up to when I started my career and I didn't know where I could get to. So I felt really like I had a duty. So the fear of doing it was put to one side when I saw the responses that I was getting from just putting my head a little bit above the parapet and then it strengthened me into doing more. But with regards to my own like journey in terms of my miscarriage, which I'm sure we'll touch on, I put that off for a while. Mm. I made sure that I was mentally prepared to talk about it but even then it was still a massive leap of faith for me to talk about it in the public sphere because I, I had no idea what what the reaction would be and I didn't know whether people would tell me that it's not the right place or platform or I'm not the right person to talk about it but I just thought if I can help one person mm. by vocalizing what I've been through and it helped me as well which is well I am going to ask you more about the reaction but we're talking at the start of 2020 and this is part of a miscarriage series that we've been putting together, talking about miscarriage and, and baby loss and getting the expert kind of side as well as the personal story. And if I'm right in the timeline, you shared your story for Baby Loss Awareness Week in October 2019. And you were talking about an experience that happened the Christmas before, so December 2018. Yeah. And that time of year when everybody's together, I'm interested in whether that time of year was a hindrance or a help. Because on the one hand, you've got everybody there, your loved ones. On the other hand, I know you talked about having to talk about what was going on. Mm. It's a funny time of year when you find out that you are pregnant at that time anyway, because even before I had any issues, I was going out seeing all my friends and I was getting together and usually you'd have a drink or a few drinks and I couldn't. So it kind of forced me into telling people that I was pregnant before I actually was ready to, I think, and before the, the, the 12 weeks. So I told all my family, told all my friends because I knew that I'd be put in a situation that I had to kind of answer to. So they all knew, but then I actually had the, well, I found out that I'd miscarried on Christmas Eve, which again, so not only have I told everyone before the time because I kind of had to, I then was in a position where I had to tell everyone on Christmas Eve because I didn't want to get a load of messages wishing me the best Christmas and New Year because I was going to have a baby in the next year. So I then felt like I was partly ruining their Christmas because I'd told them such sad news. And then also just going through the motions. I don't even, like, I've got no feelings about Christmas 2019 because I kind of just went with it. I just, it was just- 2018, yeah. 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 2019 was great. 2018, I kind of just went with the flow and yeah, I, I, I couldn't really tell you what happened I think it was just more like I was observing myself in the moment rather than feeling much okay because when you shared your episode you were interviewing Ruth Bendelatic from the Miscarriage Association amazing woman she is amazing and you were at that point talking about not getting too personal about Mm. how you felt and what you went through and we had a a bit of a chat before we started because I'm always very kind of keen to stress that this is totally you know as much or as little as as you want to talk about and time has passed since that conversation and I know you said that you were feeling better and so are you happy to talk about what stage you were at when you lost 
when you had the yeah, miscarriage? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. And I think one of the reasons why I was a little bit more protective was that I'm now lo no longer with the father of the baby. So I'd, I was also trying to protect him a little bit because I didn't tell him that I was going to do it. He kind of knew that I wanted to because of the platform that I had. But I also didn't want to just go out there and start talking about something that was personal to us. But we've, we've spoken, so I'm quite happy to talk about it. I was nine weeks pregnant and a few weeks before so about six nearly seven weeks I'd started spotting and I went to the hospital and they did a scan and they found the heartbeat and said everything was fine and the nurses said to me at the time they said um, actually if if we can hear a heartbeat and we found it everything's usually fine and usually all right after that but then the bleeding didn't stop. Went to my first meeting with the midwife and told her that I was still bleeding and they were like, oh no, it's fine, everything should be all right. Sometimes it just happens. Bit blase about it. Right. And then it got to Christmas Eve, but there was a lot more that I was experiencing in terms of blood loss. And it was that point that I thought something's not right. And also was the feelings that I was having, so um, like breast tenderness and tiredness and all that sort of, my symptoms had kind of gone away a little bit. So I knew something wasn't right. And then when I got there and had the scan on Christmas Eve, they said that I'd actually lost the baby at about seven weeks. It didn't grow past seven weeks. That bedside manner that you're experiencing, I mean, you've used the word blasé. Do you think it was totally lacking? Was there some people that seemed to be a bit more sympathetic towards you? Or was it just a this is okay or this is just what happens type attitude? It was like, it was exactly the latter. The first person that I really felt had any sort of real empathy was after I'd had... So I miscarried naturally. So I was booked in for the operation and... Fortunately or unfortunately, because it's a horrific experience, I uh, miscarried naturally the day before I was due to be put under for the operation. Mm. And I waited around in the hospital and I had a scan just to check that everything was okay. And that was the first the scan. The lady that did the scan was the first person that I really felt a good connection to, someone who really cared. And she just said, you look healthy. Everything there on the scan looks healthy. You've you've just had an unfortunate experience. There was just a problem with that egg or that sperm and you should be fine and I can't wait to see you again. And that was the first person in that whole journey that I really felt had a personal connection. Everything else just felt a bit like you were just expected to get on with it. Yeah. That's hard to hear, but unfortunately common. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was the the aftercare as well was really, really hard. So I was in town when I was experiencing the symptoms on Christmas Eve. So me and my partner went to St. Mary's, but my scans and everything was booked in for Stepping Hill. So they told me at St. Mary's that I'd lost the baby, but then didn't communicate with Stepping Hill. And because I was at nine weeks, I went away for New Year, got back and I had the letter on my doorstep about having the scan. Not only that, they then were ringing my partner, but then wouldn't speak to him because they got the numbers wrong on the forms. Oh, so they rang him, wouldn't, they asked for me, wouldn't talk to him. So he, he couldn't even be gatekeeper for you? No. So then I had to ring, but I then had to ring the doctors, the midwife, the hospital. I spoke to two people at the hospital and two different midwives. So I think it was about five conversations in one day where I had to have the same conversation over and over again. And every time the same response, every time I got the same response, it was like, oh, it's awful. But on Christmas Eve, that's even worse. And I'm like, I know. And I'm reliving it every time I'm every having time. to talk it with you. Yeah. The support with this is something that I know you spoke with Ruth from the Miscarriage Association and we've spoken with Zoe Clark's coats from saying goodbye to different charities who both offer support because there's 
so many people who aren't dealt with properly is the wrong way to say it, but aren't spoken to properly in the ba most basic terms. And to even have somebody say to you, a miscarriage happens because of a chromosomal abnormality. There's something wrong. It's not your fault. Yeah. I know from the people that I've had th that conversation with is like the biggest lift to know that it's not your fault. And that's such a simple, whilst it might not be a simple situation, it's a straightforward piece of information to, to give to somebody in your position that could help at that moment. And I, I'm interested in whether then that lady that did show you the empathy, whether she offered any signposting for support. No, there was nothing. I didn't know about the Miscarriage Association there was nothing. I've had no follow-up. It was only through doing the research because I knew that I'd gone through something that I wanted to help other people with that we found, Ruth. Mm. So that, no, there was absolutely nothing. So you chose to go and find some support yep. at the point that you were in the midst of, of grief or did you let yourself kind of heal a bit? And you, you've talked about your therapist. I know it's something that you do regularly. Yeah, I hadn't seen my therapist for a while and I was kind of, I don't know why, battling through it. I think... I didn't tell work for a while. You're in that moment and at that time, all I wanted to do was replace what I'd lost. So I got a bit, and I'm not ashamed to say it, I got a bit obsessed with just replacing the baby that I'd lost and trying again, even though now looking back, that wasn't the right thing to do. Um, but obviously that was the grief. Mm. And I didn't want to tell work that I was going through something so horrific because then they might think that I'm just gonna go off in a few months time and have a baby and then they'd be lost without, the, without their MD. So I was in a really, really hard dilemma. It took me to breaking point to actually tell most people because I kept it in and that was the worst thing that I could do. And it that, so I had the miscarriage on Christmas Eve and it was Easter when I broke. Right. At work or at home? At work. Okay, so you lost your shit. Yeah, I really okay. did. I'd taken a few days off for Easter. I, at that point, I had told um, Steve and Dom, the founders, and I don't know why I was worried because they're amazing and they massively helped me and they understood and they were very supportive as much as they can be because it's un unless you've gone through it, it's quite hard. But I just completely bur burst into tears on the phone to Dom when I was... I just couldn't cope. I couldn't cope with other people's problems not but that's part of my job is like managing issues and sorting things out yeah but in that moment and at that time I couldn't physically take on anyone else's stresses and strains because I couldn't deal with my own and you had told some of your family and friends that it had happened before obviously telling work so yeah. was there any anyone there that you were talking stuff through any of your friends that had been through it that could give you any so there was nobody that you were talking to that could say, I felt that, I thought that. No. Okay. Yeah, I was kind of, and I'm a bit of a pain because I'm very determined. So I was just determined just to carry on. And I'm a bit of a, if I don't want to talk about something, I'll just put a wall up and then people know not to ask me. <laughs> so I didn't do myself any favors. But yeah, it was around Easter time that I then started seeing Karen, my therapist, about it. Okay. And she just helped me with the grief. And that was just a massive help, massive help. Because that allowing yourself to grieve with this when it's something that you don't even, especially if it wasn't even planned and it's something that's come and then has gone as quick as it's come almost. And yeah. there's just all the different emotions with it that you just don't know how to process. And then you feel bad for feeling bad and all that, like you've just said, beating yourself up about not doing your job. So she gave you that permission. Yes, she did. She helped me to grieve and she helped me understand 
what I needed to do to cope with it as well. And yeah, made me feel like I, I, I was okay to talk about it. Yeah, and it was at that point. I am, I'm still on antidepressants. I went to the doctors and they gave me antidepressants and I'm still on them and I'm so grateful for them because the anxiety that I was experiencing and just not feeling myself was just so hard and just having that extra boost from something was has been so, so helpful. How misunderstood do you feel the impact of miscarriage is? Massive, <laughs> massive. Mm. Because I don't think even I would have thought about it without going through it because it's different for every person. And that's what I got from Ruth um, was that miscarriage affects people in different ways. Some people feel relieved. Some people feel absolutely distraught. And for me, as you said, because mine wasn't planned and it wasn't something that I was expecting. I felt guilty about feeling sad about something that I didn't even think that I wanted at that point. So it was getting my head around that. Yeah, because you always think someone else is in a worse position than you. But yeah, it's um, the impact on your body the impact on your hormones the impact on your mental health it's huge and I don't think there's enough done to understand that pressure because we are told we're not meant to talk about being pregnant in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy well that's a whole conversation in itself and I'm hoping that because there is more conversation about that this isn't necessary Mm. it's something that Zoe talked about that you know why do we hide this thing and it used to be for the chance of something going wrong but then as I think you said when you spoke with Ruth you were grateful for the support from the people that you had told yeah I was just knowing that they knew that I was going through something rather than having someone that had been through something similar but just having messages checking in and things like that I, I don't think I could have got through it if I hadn't told anyone that I was pregnant I don't know how you're meant to put on a brave face and carry on like everything's okay Yeah. Mm. Well, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is the conversation being taken into work when it comes to preconception care. And it's a project that um, I'm working to kind of raise awareness of fertility matters at work. And you said that you told work and were like delighted with how they supported you. And I know you, you mentioned some of the different things that you've got in place here. Do you want to just tell me a bit more about what you've got and then I suppose how you've utilised it? Yeah, of course. So we have a therapist that we use and we let people see Karen if and when they need it. So I've been seeing Karen probably for about two and a half years about different things and different challenges that I face. Honestly, it's changed my life. I never would have thought therapy would have been for me, but just stepping out my comfort zone and talking to someone just helped me see my past a little bit differently has been an absolute godsend and I feel like I'm a such better person for for that but we've just started doing opt-out mental health as well for everybody because we know it's such a big step to actually say I think I need to talk to someone that we now have once a quarter everyone is opted into a session with a therapist whether that is nutritional or whether that's talking therapy or any other type of therapy and then you have to tell us that you don't want it otherwise you've got to have it. I quite like that because we're the worst sometimes, aren't we, at putting ourselves up for those types of things. And in terms of the kind of the happiness and the focus, the necessity of there being kind of written policies in place is something that you said that you are thinking of doing. I'm kind of terming it in a preconception care. You were talking about maybe it being a kind of miscarriage policy, but there's such a lack of understanding so often Mm -hmm. in the corporate space 
And so often, you know, you talked about the worry you had about not doing your job properly. And I know you've got a podcast out that you just put out about the, the particularly women, the, the worries that we have about not yes. being able to do our job. Not saying that men don't, but yeah. I think it's less. And especially mm-hmm. when it's us physically affected, yeah. more physically, I should say, affected by these things. What would you like to see in terms of that conversation and that narrative in the workplace? I think, um, yeah, we are looking into how we can build miscarriage or something in that ter- like term, mainly because of the experience I've been through. I want to try and make it a bit more universal because I can only talk from my experience and how I want things to be better in the world about having policies in place to protect people. One thing I'm very proud of in here is our openness and our understanding of people and their individual lives. And I think that's what we need is like workplaces to really understand that different people are on different journeys and it's not that we should just ignore it, that we should all be there and open and be able to talk about what you're going through because otherwise it's going to impact your work. And I think that's part of an issue, bigger issue Mm. in terms of mental health. We see such a benefit from people seeing the therapists. So if we can translate that into a facility option of conversation, then I think it's going to be beneficial for everybody. In terms of the reaction around you sharing your story in your podcast, how was that? I was petrified and that was one of the reasons that it took me till October to do it and I was it it was the baby loss awareness week that I was really grateful happened in October because I could tie it in for a reason because one thing I was really worried about was the reaction to me putting out what is known as a business podcast but talking about something that had happened to me that isn't really talked about and also my biggest platform in terms of my personal brand is on LinkedIn So we put it out on LinkedIn as a promo for the podcast and I was really nervous about the reaction to that. We recorded it and it went out on the same day that I was in London recording two other podcasts with guests. So I didn't know the reaction until I'd finished recording the podcast. And I picked up my phone and I just saw hundreds of messages from people just either liking the content or offering words of support telling me how amazing it was that I talked about it and I just sobbed. I was with Dodds, who's the producer of the podcast and I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because it was like a release of knowing that it was okay to talk about. I only had two messages that were like, I don't think you should talk about this on LinkedIn, which of which I went back to, which were from old men. I was just about to say, was it from men and I didn't want to? It was. It was two older gentlemen who had an opinion that LinkedIn wasn't the place that I should be talking about um, something like that. So I just went back with a little rebuttal that said, don't you think LinkedIn's a wonderful place for raising awareness of a charity that is so important? They didn't reply again. So, And the thing that was really amazing was people, other people reacting to their message and supporting me. But in general everyone else has been super positive. And the messages that I received privately, majority were from men who've been through the miscarriage journey. Right. And just saying that they are on it and they've been through it and how important it is that someone talks about it, so. That's interesting that it was predominantly men on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn. Elsewhere, did you have It was a mixture. Okay. No, it was, all, it was all a mixture, but to be honest, I think the personal messages were more from men just saying right. thank you for talking about it. I think there's no end to 
the kind of the, the ripple effect of something like this. And I don't know whether you then had personal conversation with friends that said that they'd been through it. It's something that in the time I've been doing my podcast, every time I tell somebody what the podcast is about, which is in essence to educate and empower people on their steps to build their families and mm. to help them know options if things aren't going well, somebody has always got a someone that is dealing with something. And I know from talking about this particular niche topic for five years that there's so many people that need the support of it. And that episode, I don't know what, you know, numbers wise, you know, it compares to others, but any conversations about this that we can put out on a more public platform, it's only going to help, like you say, if it helps one person. Yeah. And I know when you spoke with Ruth, you talked, both of you talked about fertility education. And again, it's something that I'm passionate about. And I, I was interested if you had thought or could think about how that might look you know, take yourself to school, back to school, when we're, to we're only told about not getting pregnant. Yeah. The focus is so on, this is what you do to not get pregnant. Mm. We're told how, you know, biology works, but really how not to get pregnant and how you would have felt and how best, because Social Chain is obviously quite a young, dynamic organization, how speaking about this type of thing to a younger audience, what's the best way to do it? Oh, that's a good question. I definitely think there needs to be more. I think for me, this was my first experience. I'd never been pregnant before I'd never experienced anything like that so and I'm 36 this year so for me it was like oh my god so there was the whole balance of uh, as a woman you're told that you should start thinking about it as soon as you can because you're going to get older and then you're not going to be able to have it and if you do have a child later it, it might have some um it might have issues, you might have problems and all that. So there's always that in the back of my mind. Mm. Um, so even though my pregnancy was a surprise, I was like, right, well, it's now my time because I'm getting on. And at least I can get pregnant. And at least I can which get pregnant. Which I know other people said to you lots, which yes. is always not helpful. Yeah, um, I also thought that though, because it was the first time that I'd, I'd experienced it. And um, as I say, getting older, it's something that does play on my mind a little bit. But in terms of school, yeah, I just think there needs to be more in the fact that it normalising it because it's so common. I, like one in four mm. early pregnancies end in miscarriage and that is such a high statistic. And some of the stats that I've since learned, it's something like 700 people a day in the UK going through this. Yeah. And that's the people that we know about yeah. that actually go to a hospital or a doctor and have it registered. Well, it blew my mind when I went to the hospital when I was due for the operation and how many other women, they had a full day booked in for those operations. Mm. And that is one of what three options that you can take in terms of help after miscarriage. There were so many women mm. in that day. And it's just, it's really sad that it's not normalized. And I think that's what spurred me on a little bit more if schools can educate in the fact that these things happen and it's normal, then you, I think I would have felt a lot better about it because from even the lady, the, the scan lady who said, mm. this is why it's happened, but you're fine and everything looks healthy. I felt so relieved mm. after that, but until that point, okay? yeah, until that point, I had no clue. What would you say to somebody listening who, first of all, knows somebody who has just gone through this? And then I want to ask you what, you would say to somebody listening who themselves is dealing with this? Yeah, I think if you know someone who's going through it, just be as normal as you can, but also just check in. It doesn't have to be a big song and dance, just a text every now and again, just to let them know that you're thinking of them. And also ask them how they want to 
deal with it because everyone deals with it in a very different way mm. and just be a bit more attuned to their behaviors because I think I hid away for quite a while about it and just pretended everything was fine so try and just really monitor their behavior whether they've gone a bit more insular and you don't see them and things like that and it it is difficult because everyone handles it differently but I can't thank my friends enough for being a support system that I needed in the moment without having to talk about it just by being there and and helping me and then for someone who's going through it know that you're not alone mm. it feels so lonely it feels like the most isolating experience you can ever have but to know that you're not alone and know that it is a common thing mm. and as scary as it is, you will be okay after it. You just need to manage all of the emotion and all the hormones and everything else. And it's it's not nice for a few months after. And it takes time. It takes a lot of time. It takes time for your body to readjust as well. So know that it's not an instant fix. You don't just go back to normal straight away. And the whole point of this kind of little series is to kind of highlight where the support is, which we will be doing at the at the kind of end of the episode and in the show notes. Before I let you go, Katie, it's been it's been really lovely getting the chance to talk to you a bit about it and, and hearing you be so honest and open about it because like we said at the start, I know you've taken the time to decide as and when you want to talk about it. This is not related to the topic, but <laughs> something that we started to do on the podcast where we want to know something about you that not very many people know as random as you like oh okay i can do this it's hard because i put so much out now um but <laughs> when i was 17 i did work experience at the bbc on watchdog okay. the program watchdog yeah. and i was in the little mail room and i was answering questions answering people's like just sending comp slips back to people after they've sent in their letters because it was before the time of shows how old I am before the time when everyone used to tweet or send emails yeah. and I was looking at something and I looked down and there was a load of powder that had come from what looked like one of the envelopes and I was like oh my god oh my god and it was around the time when anthrax was such a big oh, yeah. topic and I was like oh my god someone sent anthrax through the post and we're now in this tiny little mail room and I don't know what to do so me and this other girl ran out and we we're like uh, we kind of need someone to look at what's what we found panic ensued and I got the whole of the BBC shut down everyone had to leave we couldn't leave these men in these massive suits came in to check out the what it was and it we closed the BBC down for quite a while and it it, it actually turned out to be printing powder from the from the comp oh, slips you though yeah that, I know but they? but if I did uh, but yeah the panic that was just caused by the fact that I thought that there were was finger printed were you were you a suspect no thank god no no it wasn't that no, tense no it wasn't that tense but oh my god that was stressful so yeah I I've closed the BBC down for a little it's while quite it's quite a good dining out story yeah. <laughs> nice work thank you for your time it's been lovely chatting thank you so much We know there's probably going to be a lot of information here that has got you thinking. So be sure to visit thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash miscarriage, where we will be listing links to all the different organizations we're mentioning, as well as the different episodes within this series. And of course, you can follow us online. I'm at Fertility Poddy. And I'm at Your Fertility Journey. And just remember, we're here. You're so not alone. If this episode has been helpful to you in any way, please do rate, review, subscribe and share so we can keep the momentum going and help other people find out this podcast and hopefully help them like it's helped you. Thank you. Until the next time.